Welcome to the Wellspring Church Podcast. We're an international church family who wants to see Jesus' love transform communities. This recording is a sermon from our Sunday service and will take you deeper into the Bible in a real and relevant way. Amen. Good morning, everyone. Um, I have to say there are some times when I, I have the privilege of having a mic that is turned on and uh, I get to open God's word with you and I feel like, you know, I feel so full of beans. Uh, I feel like I've had 10 shredded wheat and, and I, feel like, I feel like I'm going to change the world. Um, today is not one of those days, um, but listen, uh, the, I've just had real encouragement from our, uh, our second born, our, our second daughter, Hannah. Um, Hannah's become a, a bit of a preacher up in Sheffield where she's at uni, so if you want to catch out the... Um, Check out the Well Church in Sheffield, and God's been really using her. She just gave me some encouragement. She said, Dad, don't worry. Um, if God can speak through a donkey, uh, he, can, he can speak through you. And, uh, and that was an encouragement that Helen first gave her when she was about to preach. Um, so <laughs> so uh, today, uh, I come not in my own strength, uh, but... I come, we trust by the power of God's Spirit that somehow as we open this together, uh, the Holy Spirit might do something in all of us. And uh, I don't feel like it changed the world, but I want to point to the one who did. Um, So that's what we're here to do. Is that right? So um, this series is called The Whole Truth. And uh, if you're here as a visitor or maybe you're watching this uh, message online and you might think that that just seems that really in this day and age, to, to talk about the, in fact, to use that word, uh, the, before truth, uh, is really dangerous. In fact, it sounds old-fashioned, uh, and uh, at worst, it sounds like it could be arrogance, uh, doesn't it, if we're, if we're really honest. So when we say the whole truth, the question is, it, it, in fact, it's either one or the other. It's either proud arrogance or it is honest confidence. It cannot be somewhere in between, Uh, and we're going to be looking at that today. I believe by talking about the whole truth and pointing to Jesus, we are in good company uh, in talking about this with a humble but an honest confidence in who Jesus is. This is not arrogance on our part. In the end, you'll have to make up your own mind And that is actually the biggest question that you'll ever have to answer in your whole life is what we're going to be looking at today. You see, in John chapter 14, verse 6, uh, this is what Jesus had to say about himself. Jesus told him, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, everyone say no no one. No one can come to the Father except through me. And by making such a bold statement, one of the many I am statements that you'll see around the building, but also, uh, more importantly, you'll see in the Gospel of John, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now, that is either proud arrogance on the part of Jesus, or it is a humble yet honest confidence in who he is. We're going to be exploring that a little bit today and asking a question about who is this Jesus. Now, but listen, if you've been coming to church since before you were born uh, and, and you think, do you know what, I've got this thing down, listen, I, I just want to challenge you to open your ears and hearts again uh, because we, we sometimes think we know 
Jesus. In fact, we've created Jesus in our own image of who we want him to be, uh, but there are so many uncomfortable things when we face Jesus as he is, not as who we think he is. Can I hear any amens? Uh, and for those, if you are here as a visitor, the more amens you say, the faster I go. If you start kind of waving up and standing up and shaking, you know, other people might think that would be strange. I would just take that as encouragement. All right, so however you want to respond, uh, we're going to open God's Word together. And as we do this, over this series, we're looking at a character in the Bible called Simon. And uh, over this Easter series, we're looking about his experience. Now, he was a fisherman. He was called Simon. Uh, his father was called John. And in the background of his upbringing, uh, certainly uh, whenever they celebrated the Passover, and at other points, as a young lad, Simon would have heard this, a Messiah is coming, that a Messiah, a Savior, who was going to come and rescue the people of Israel, in fact, was going to bring peace, was going to bring shalom to the whole earth. This was the dream and the vision, and this is what was prayed for and expected, was the Messiah would come. It's what Isaiah prophesied and other prophets, they said, the Messiah is coming. So little Simon, as he grew up, he was expecting that there was going to be, and, and in fact, what they expected, certainly by the time Simon was a lad, they were expecting a military leader to come into Jerusalem and into uh, Israel at a time and kick the Romans out because the Romans were oppressing them and taxing them and beating them. And their expectation was that the Messiah would come and, if you like, he'd come on a chariot uh, with weapons and with all of heaven's army and he would liberate the people, uh, the Jewish people and to restore shalom in Jerusalem and in the land at the time. That's kind of in the background of his journey. But when, when Simon is a fisherman, and we heard about this last week, uh, he heard some rumors. And this is a simple journey. First is, he heard about a man called Jesus of Nazareth. He heard about this man, and uh, everyone knew his father was Joseph, and uh, his mother was Mary, and he was from Nazareth. And in fact, his father was a builder or a carpenter, and so everyone knew that they heard rumors about Jesus the man. That was the first stage. The next stage was, we looked at last week, if you weren't here, I'd encourage you to listen to the message because it's part of the series. In John chapter 1, there is this point at which uh, he hears not just that this, there's a man called Jesus, but actually there becomes a message. John the Baptist, who his brother had actually chosen to follow, John the Baptist points to Jesus and says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So, so, the, so he, there's a man called Jesus, and then there's a message about this Jesus is unique. There's something unique about him. And in fact, in that moment, and we heard last week, Jesus looks intently at Simon and says, you are Simon, son of John, but you will be called Peter, which means rock. So, so there's this moment at which uh, actually Jesus becomes more than just a message. Actually, he becomes his mentor. And in that flow of the passage, at that stage, Jesus said, uh, Simon, will you come and I will teach you to be a fisher of men. You've heard this story before, many of you. And so he says, I'm going to mentor you in fishing for men. So, so you see this trajectory, this journey from a man to a message to a mentor. And then as time goes on, 
Think about the Sermon on the Mount. Actually, Jesus is more than just a mentor about how to gather people, how to reach people with the good news of the kingdom, but actually he truly is a messenger. He comes and preaches the Sermon on the Mount, and there are thousands of people that are listening to what Jesus would have to say. And wow, this Jesus is not just a man. He is not just a mentor. Actually, he is a messenger from heaven revealing the kingdom of God. Are you with me so far? Can you see? there's a journey. There are several stages. For most of us, there is a journey in our relationship with understanding who Jesus is. So he goes from kind of being a rumor and it becomes more and more real in terms of who he really is. And then if you think about the healings in um, Matthew chapter 14 and other places, uh, Simon, who's becoming Simon Peter, uh, Simon sees Jesus do incredible miracles sees him raise the dead. And if you open your Bibles in Matthew's Gospel, because we're going to be looking there, even if you just flick through the headings, if you've got a paper Bible or scroll, if you've got an electronic one, you'll see some amazing parables. But then uh, in Matthew chapter 14, Jesus walks on water. And who is it that, that kind of invites himself to go walking on the water with Jesus? Who is it? It's Simon Peter, isn't it? He, he ends up walking, he sees Jesus walking on water. And so Jesus goes from being a man, a message, a mentor, a messenger, to becoming a miracle maker. There's nothing this guy can't do. And so he is convinced about his power to heal. He's convinced about his power to even defy the laws of gravity and to walk on water. Simon's eyes are being opened. And if we could do an overlapping diagram, you'd see that he starts off this journey as Simon, but you will be called Peter. Then if you read the, if you read the Gospels and get an idea of the chronology, he becomes Simon Peter. Listen, later on, by the time he's on the day of Pentecost addressing the crowds, guess what his name is? It's just Peter. <laughs> right? There's a, there's a journey here. I want to encourage you, if you're on a journey of understanding really who Jesus is, you're in good company. We're all on a journey, and we join Simon and then Simon Peter on this journey, and then we get to our passage today, which is, which is Matthew chapter 16. And Jesus has taught, and he's raised the dead, and he's walked on water. And uh, the leaders in the beginning of chapter 16 are demanding a miraculous sign, he doesn't like that too much. He doesn't want to be treated as a party trick. And then this is what happens. So, and, and actually, before, let's just read verse 13 of Matthew chapter 16. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, let's pause there. Caesarea Philippi used to be called Panias or Banias. And it was a really significant place in that season and amongst that people. The reason is, it was the source of the River Jordan. And so as the source, it was at the foot of Mount Hermon, and at the foot of Mount Hermon, if you imagine uh, all the different aquifers and storage of water that there are underneath the mountain, it came out at this point of what is now called Caesarea Philippi. And the reason it was originally called Panias is because of the Greek god, or the, sorry, no, it wasn't a Greek god, of the god Pan. Anyone heard of Pan? We know about the Pan Pipes. There's a really dubious story. Look it up. It's awkward about why the Pan Pipes were created. There's a mythology around this, and uh, the god Pan was half goat, half human. 
The reason was because of a, a sexual cult that involved people going to the, the source of, uh, going to this place, to this city, and doing unspeakable things to goats. And so you have this awful, awful, seedy, broken, broken place. It's like going into the red light district where there's all sorts of temple prostitution and there are shrines to the God of Pan. And listen, Jesus leaves the predominantly Jewish area and leaves the synagogues and says, right, disciples, we're going to go to Caesarea Philippi. We're going where, Jesus? We're going where? We're actually going to go, you know, where all the caves are, where there are little shrines to Pan and where people are worshipping idols and doing all sorts of awful things. So, so it's really significant when we read, so we should ask ourselves the question when we read the Bible, where is Caesarea Philippi? Well, did you know, it's like going into, I don't know, the worst part of Amsterdam and saying, right, let's go. And, and while they're on their way, this is the conversation that happens. He asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is, by referring to himself? So who, who do people say the Son of Man is? And he's surrounded by all this mythology and all these mixed up ideas. Verse 14, well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. Now, all of those are messengers. They all, so, so they basically, pretty much everyone around, they acknowledge you might be a man, but actually they, most people are saying there's something about this Jesus of Nazareth. He is a messenger, a prophet, all right? So then he asks them, but, and this is the most important question you and I will ever, ever, ever have to answer. And we'll either answer it now or we'll answer it in the end. But one one day, we will have to answer this question. Jesus says, and what's the question? He says, who do people say? Oh, no, the next, next verse. Okay, but who do you say I am? Let's read that together. But who do you say I am? That is the question. That is the biggest question. And now it says in the text, Simon Peter answered... You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Or Messiah, or in the Greek, is Christ, the Son of the living God. So in this moment, something happens, and maybe he's just come to that realization even recently, but this is the point at which he's the first person to say, amongst the 12, they're all like, well, that's a good question. Mm, still trying to figure out. Maybe Thomas is there. I'm really still trying to figure it out. Yes? But at this point in the, the, the conversation, he cannot contain himself. Simon Peter says, you are the Messiah. And he says, and the son of the living God. I mean, he, he exclaims, the, the Christ or Messiah means the anointed one. Uh, and it's important to understand um, that the language that is used here is it uses the definitive article. In other words, the. In the original language, the definitive article is the. You are the Messiah. Now, what is Jesus' response? And you may be familiar with this, but I'm going to bring this into some application that I think will challenge each of us. He says this, 
He says, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you, you are Peter. Which means, do you get that? So, Simon, the Father in heaven has revealed this to you. Now you have spoken this. He says, now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Let's pause there. He says, you are Petros in the Greek, and on this Petra, different word, so this is not the establishing of a papal uh, hierarchy or a line of, because he says, you are Petros, but on this Petra, I will build my church. Whose church? His church. He, hallelujah, will build his church based on what? on the revelation, on the revelation, on the rock of the answer to this question. You are the Messiah. He will build his church. We don't build. In fact, this is what's happened for 2,000 years, is that men and women, but mostly men, if we're honest, have built our church. Hello? We've built our church on our ministry, on our name, on our brand, on our type of music, on our ethnic preference on our mixed-up ideas of, of what's important, on our particular doctrines about baptism or other things. We've built our church. And Jesus said, no, no, listen, I'm going to build my church on the rock of this revelation of who I am. And listen, and he says, and the gates of hell. It says in the New Living Translation, it's a poor translation on this occasion. He says, the powers of hell. Now, it's important to understand that where the water comes out of the rock in the cave in Caesarea Philippi was believed at the time under superstition to be the place where evil spirits came and went. So it is called the gates of Hades. So people thought that at this point in Caesarea Philippi, there was a place that was like the gate of hell, the gates of Hades. And so I love this. He says to his disciples, we're going to go... We're going to go into enemy territory, hallelujah. We're going to go on the way. We're going to have a conversation about who I am. And guess what? On the revelation of what I show you there, do you know what? When we go to the gates of hell, the gates of Hades, they will not prevail against people with the message of that I'm the Messiah. The gates of hell will not prevail against the establishing of the church, which is the people who believe what Jesus said about himself. Can I hear an amen? amen? Hallelujah. This is awesome. So, there, there's a, so you see, the, the gates, are, it's not a... People say, oh, well, the, the gates are... Yeah. People have used this as a way of saying, do you know what? Um, as long as we stand firm, as long as we hold our ground, we're going to be all right. The, this is not... A gate is not something that, you, that attacks you. All right? No one comes to... No one comes to your house is going to kind of threaten you. They're more likely with a knife than with a gate. You know, I'm not going to come with a gate. Actually, we go to the gate, and when we get to the gate that seems like a barrier, he says, you know, when you get to the opposition, the gates of hell will not prevail because I've sent you to take territory against the enemy. It's, a, it's an offensive invitation to go into enemy territory and take ground based on the revelation of who Jesus is because he is the Messiah. Is anyone following me there? Yeah. 
So, oh, but here comes the gates. No, 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 no. You go to the gates, and when you get to the barrier, it will not defeat the establishing and the building of the church of Jesus Christ. We're not waiting to be attacked. We're on the attack. Hallelujah. And certainly will be if we take this message seriously. He says this in verse 19, And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven, and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. Some say that was just Peter, but if you flick over to Matthew chapter 18, you'll see he uses this same word to describe the unified church. He says that when you deal with conflict properly, we were talking about this with some raising leaders uh, this Wednesday, when you deal with conflict properly, then you will be able to bind things on earth and it will be bound in heaven. That's to the church. It's not just to Peter. It's to the church. I will build my church that will have authority on the earth that is equal to the authority in heaven. Hallelujah. Then interestingly, verse 20, he says, and it says in the New Living Translation, then he sternly warned the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Really, Jesus? Come on, at least put it on Instagram. Maybe not, maybe not a reel, maybe just a story, you know, just something. That the reason is that he didn't want them to go around telling people he was the Messiah. He wanted to show people what kind of Messiah he was. So it wasn't that people would never find out. We found out. Gosh, Matthew's written it down. That at that time, what they thought the Messiah was, was not the kind of Messiah Jesus is. And so he said, look, guys, guys, look, uh, it's going to take some time before I'm ready for people to see. I'm going to show you the kind of Messiah I am. And then we all know there's a time when they're sent out to go and tell people but it just wasn't in this moment. He said, guys, I know you're excited about this, but just calm down. What Peter has confessed is true, but there'll be a time, and now's not the time to go telling everyone that I'm the Messiah. They won't get it, because they'll be like, where's the chariots? Where's the chariots? He's not. And they say, I'll show you the kind of anointed one, the Christ that I am. So I guess the question that we have to ask today, and you might think already, I know the answer to this. I knew this when I was baptized, when I was 12, whatever it is. I still want to just, I want us to take a bit of time to reflect on this. Honestly, who do you say Jesus is? I, I mean by the words you use. I mean by the priorities. I, I mean by what you tell your friends. I mean by the confidence with which you talk about your faith. I mean about the priorities that you set in terms of your finances. I, I mean in terms of career choices that you make. Honestly, who does all that say Jesus is? There was a survey last year, 2022. Um, Evangelical Alliance were involved in this, and then with a, a number of other agencies. They surveyed 4,000 people around the UK, and it was called the Talking Jesus Survey. And uh, there's loads of stuff in there. Do you know, there's loads of people in the UK that don't go to church, that, but believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. And it's really interesting. You can go to talkingjesus.org, I think, and you can find the whole report. But I just want to show you this um, graph. And this is when people were asked, um, adults were asked how people describe Jesus, 20% said they believe that, God, that Jesus is God in human form who lived among people in the first century. 
25% say a normal human being. 33% said he was a prophet or spiritual leader, but not God. 4% said other things. And 18% said don't know. Isn't that interesting? So 18% of the UK population say, well, I don't think he's a man. In fact, he's just a mystery to me. 18%. 18% of your work colleagues, of your neighbors, haven't made their mind up about Jesus. Isn't that good news? And maybe you're here today and you haven't made your mind up. I invite you to look at the evidence. Look at the evidence of what Jesus did and said and recognize he is indeed not even just a messenger, not just a man. He is the Messiah. 33% said he's a messenger. 25% said a man. 18% said a mystery. And 20% said God in human form. I wonder for you, is he just a man? Is he a a mentor? Is Is he a mate? Uh, I speak to many Christians and I wonder if sometimes we just like the idea of Jesus being a friend so much that that's all he is. Oh yeah, he's just my mate. Oh, my homeboy. He's just a a mate. I talk to him sometimes. He's always there. He's a good friend. What a friend we have in Jesus. We all sing that, don't we? He's just a mate. But listen, if he's only a mate, we could be missing out on the life that he died to give us. If he's only a mate, then what happens when he invites you to, to say or to do something that's uncomfortable or difficult, or even you don't understand, d- it, does obedience come in or just is it a case of preference? I want to ask you the question a bit differently. Is he, is he a madman? Or is he the Messiah? And you say, what? why would I ever think he's a madman? I want to quote to you from the great C.S. Lewis. You've probably heard this before. Uh, and he talks in Mere Christianity, he says this, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else he is a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He's not left that open to us. He never intended to. I love that. Why a madman? Why would someone come and do the things that Jesus did, and say the things Jesus said. And then, even though the authorities of the day, Pontius Pilate, washes his hand because Jesus is, why would he still go to the cross and be hung naked on a rubbish tip outside Jerusalem if it wasn't because he is everything he says he is? He'd be a madman, a lunatic. So we have a choice. Is he, is he a man? 
it maybe is, is he more than a mate? Is he a madman or is he indeed the Messiah? I'll put it another way and we'll come into land. And we're going to do some praying. And then, and then I think God wants to do some stuff in us. And I think he wants to bend some knees in this place. You know, you know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah, Jesus, we are going, you know, I, I want to ask a question. Is he just a chorus for Sundays? Is he a comfort for your low days? Is he a crutch for your hard days? Or is he the Christ for all days? I'll say that again. Is he just a chorus for your Sundays? Oh, yeah, we go, I go with my mum and dad, and we sing these songs, and, and uh, yeah, it's just my Jesus. Yeah, yeah, he's my Jesus. And, and I, is he just a chorus? Or, or, or is he a comfort for the low days? And for sure, he is a comfort for the low days. Hallelujah. Yes, he is that. Of course he is that. He's the one friend you can lean on. He's more faithful than your life partner, your spouse. He's more faithful than your parents. He's eternally the one that can be your comfort for those low days. Someone say amen. Hallelujah. Yes, he is that. Is he a crutch for your hard days. You know, when you feel like you can't go any further, when you feel like you can't walk anymore, when the stuff's happening at work, stuff's happening with your health, stuff happening with your finances, and you think, I just need to get through. And you think, well, Jesus is the crutch on which I lean to get me through the hard days. Someone here, yes, he is. He is that. He's more dependable. He'll never break. There's nothing you or I could go through that he is in stronger than. And so, yes, of course, he is a crutch for those hard days. And, and if you're going through a hard day right now, lean on Jesus, and he will not fail. But he is more than those three things. He is the Christ. Everyone say, the Christ. He is not just a Christ. He is the Christ for all days, for every day, for Sundays and Mondays and Tuesdays and Wednesdays, Thursdays, Fridays, Saturdays. He's the Christ on the days when you don't think you need him. Guess what? He is still the Christ. He is the Christ when you don't feel like even singing a chorus on Sundays. Guess what? He is still the Christ. He still deserves our worship. He still deserves our praise. He still deserves all of our money. He still deserves all of our time. He still deserves to be the reason why anything would align in our career, in our life choices, in what we study, where we study, where we work, who we work for, how we work, how we treat our colleagues, the kind of love we show our neighbors, the kind of things we do with our possessions, the kind of generosity we live with. He is Christ of all those things all days. And so this is the challenge. This is the challenge. Is he? Is he? Who do our lives say that he is? There's that famous adage is that we're probably the only Bible that most people will ever read in our world. So, if that's true in any way, who do our lives say that Jesus is? Is he the Messiah? Is he the Lord of our priorities? Is he the Lord of our careers? Is he the Lord of our relationships? You know, that, that wrong relationship that needs to be said, is he the Lord? Is he allowed to be Lord of that as well? Lord of our diaries, 
Lord of our viewing habits? Lord of where we click? Is he, is he the Lord of those things? And you see, the great thing about Simon Peter's story is that, uh, and we'll, we'll think more about this over the coming week, but, but this is a real high point for him, right? For in Matthew 16. Yeah, you're the Messiah. You're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. I know who you are. We'll follow him all the way through to Good Friday. And even the one who declares the greatest truth the world has ever heard up until that point with the greatest confidence that anyone up until that point had ever declared it in the presence of the one who could confirm, yeah, you're right, Simon, Peter. You speak the truth about me. What a high point, what a moment. Wouldn't it be great if, if the story just carried on as a trajectory of increasing holiness from that point on for Simon Peter until the Lord took him up into a cloud, as if there was like this continuum. The, the fact is, this story tells us there isn't a, a smooth continuum in our relationship to Jesus. The fact is that we all fail. The fact is our confidence does wane, and something happens and it dips. Something happens and it, even we stop meeting together. We don't go to church, so he doesn't even become our chorus on Sundays. We're watching the Grand Prix instead. Nothing against Formula One fans. But honestly, oh, there's something on TV. Oh, I need to do the ironing. I'm not going to go to church on Sundays. For some of us, he's not even been our chorus on a Sunday. There's nothing magic about Sundays, but there's something holy about gathering with the people of God and singing to Jesus. I don't get it fully. I think if we could put it in a formula, then, then we'd, we'd be in trouble, wouldn't we? If, if it could, there's something in it. I don't get it. And I know people come and they gather and they might even see on, so these strange people, they're, they're singing to someone who isn't in the room. Yeah, have you ever thought that? Have you ever taken a moment and walked in and people go, yeah, like this, and dancing and jig up? They're singing to somebody who's not even in the room. I mean, I get it at a rock concert. I get it at a football match, although no one cheers at Watford anymore. But um, I remember a time when they did, and uh, they, I, they get that. They understand. But here's a group of people. Are they just singing to the ceiling or maybe to this projection screen? Have they, have they been programmed in their mind? Has, is this some mind trick? The fact is that we're singing to one who is center of the room. He's in the room. Christ is building his church, and it's on this revelation. He is Messiah. And church, we will go to the gates of hell with this message not with our form of churchianity, but with this revelation, Jesus is the Messiah. So maybe as we come to pray, I wonder if the band could come up. We're going to sing a song, um, What a Beautiful Name It Is. Uh, and really, my message is just, uh, if you like, an introduction to what we're going to do now. Because the most right response is that we would lay down all our compromise, that we would bring all of that to the Lord. 
Uh, and the right response is for us to praise him, to worship him. And in the chorus of this song, we're saying, he has no rival, he has no equal. And if you believe that to be true, this is my prayer, is that the Father in heaven will reveal that to you in a new way. And if there's any part of you that has been half-hearted in your relationship to Jesus, listen, know that, know that God doesn't condemn you, he just invites you close. James says that if we draw near to him, he will draw near to us. So this is an opportunity for us to to allow something from our head or just from what we've heard to allow it to engage with something deep down in our gut that we might be in a place to say, you are the Messiah and I don't care what anyone thinks and I don't care if it's painful and I don't care if it's costly and I don't care how this looks on the internet and I don't care if my friends understand. I don't care if my family approves. Uh, I just have to say this from, the, from my gut. You are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. And even if it kills me, I will give my life serving you, Jesus. And my prayer is that the Father will send the Holy Spirit to set our songs on fire. That as we sing this, something will happen that will be deep within us. And I want to say to you today, if, if you in any way have slidden back from that kind of passion for Jesus, please understand God is, God is here And he's asking you today, almost never mind the answer you gave some time before. Never mind what you said, although it was important on the day of your baptism. Uh, The question for you, my brother and sister, is today, who do you say Jesus is? Who do you say he is? And my prayer is that from someone's heart, there will come a fresh song of praise, a, a fresh declaration. And before we do that, one simple opportunity is that if you're here today and you haven't at any point in your life confessed Jesus as Lord understand as Paul says in Romans that this is all it takes to confess Jesus Christ as Lord believe he was raised from the dead and you'll be saved you'll be saved from living for yourself you'll be saved from the hole that you've dug for yourself listen there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus in Christ Jesus, no condemnation. So just while people's heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I just want to give a simple opportunity. If you want in this moment to respond to this message and surrender your life to Jesus, not just as man, but as the Christ, I'm going to ask you simply to raise your hand in this moment. I want to pray with you and for you. you want to give your life to Christ, accept who he is, just raise your hand where you are, just so I can see it, so I can pray. Okay, I see that hand. In this moment right now, Lord Jesus, I give my heart to you. I give my life to you. And I confess, Jesus Christ, that you are my Lord and you are my saviour. Forgive me of my sin. Forgive me of my shame. Help me to live for you. Not just today, but always. Amen. Amen. Okay. 
And I'm going to invite you in your own way to make your own response. You might want to listen to this song being sung to begin with. You might want to stand or kneel. We just say, Holy Spirit, come and fill this place. And Lord, I pray you'd fill this time of praise and worship. Fill it with authentic, spirit-filled revelation. Lord, reveal Jesus to us in new ways. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope you've been blessed and encouraged by what you've heard. If you'd like to know more about Jesus, Wellspring Church, or how you can grow with others in faith, connect with us by clicking the link in the episode description or by joining us on Sundays at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. in person and online.